so we're going to start a little early. Why not, right? Everybody likes to have a flight that leaves early. <laughs> we don't need it. Yeah, I mean, there's no more room for anybody else anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, let me introduce myself. My name's John Vividali, and I am EVP of Workplace Solutions at Tango. We have a booth right down 200, um, the red booth. Um, let me introduce a, a little bit about the company while we have a couple of minutes prior to the start. Uh, my company, AgileQuest, was acquired in January. It, some people may know of AgileQuest reservation system platform user and end user engagement platform that was now part of and integrated to a, a Tango solution. And Tango really covers everything from for retail and for corporate, all the way from site selection, where should you put your stores, where should you put your buildings, all the way through to maintenance, management of the, of the building of the platform, operating the platform, and then how the platform, that space, is actually being used and how people are being engaged into that platform. So it's one holistic solution for the entire uh, uh, set of functions. Um, it's a pleasure to introduce today's speaker for the presentation, Places to Belong, How Workplace Can Help Hybrid Teams Reconnect. Our speaker today is uh, Ryan Anderson. He's VP of Global Research at Miller Knoll. Uh, I've seen him speak before. He's an excellent speaker, uh, has a lot of interesting insight. Uh, I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this. Uh, thank you for coming. Again, Tango, the booth is right down the street. And there's Kay. Thank you. Uh, hey, everyone. I appreciate you showing up, spending some time. I only get 20 minutes with you, and if you know me, that is, that is a challenge. So what we're going to do, that's an introduction. What we're going to try to do in 20 minutes is pretty straightforward. I'm going to try to leave you with uh, basically a framework and a process that you can remember to help think about how to evolve an existing portfolio of real estate, do a better job of connecting teams that are working in more flexible ways. I know we're all talking about it, and there's maybe some cliches around the workplace needs to be more collaborative and it needs to be focused on culture. That's all true. We need to figure out what to do with the actual spaces to get there. This is a subset of a longer presentation that I'm happy to share with you. The one thing that I will not be getting into, louder, okay, as much is uh, specifically around the topic of connecting those outside the facility with those in the facility technologically. If you want to get into that, I've got a whole separate video webinar I can share with you. And I'll just tell you right now, connect with me, Ryan Anderson on LinkedIn, or anything you need from us, any of the Miller Knoll brands, Herman Miller Knoll, whatever, you can email insights at millernoll.com, and I will see it usually within a day. Okay, um, let's talk about how we can possibly get people more connected when they're spread out over more places using facilities that are informed by actual use patterns. This research that I'm gonna share with you comes from a variety of sources, one of which is Future Forum. Have you heard of Future Forum? It's one of the largest research, probably the largest research effort underway on the future of work. We're one of the founding partners along with uh, Slack and BCG and a group called MLT. I'm also drawing a little bit from some of the work we do with social scientists, organizational psychologists, organ um, environmental psychologists, and the goal is, what can we do with these spaces, again, to help people connect in the way they want to? So let's start with some basics. This clicker is not working. I'm using the arrows. 
nope, the arrows aren't working. I'm using the the uh, cursor. Is anything advancing? No. There we go. Okay. Of the 10,000 people that we surveyed last quarter for future form, a majority of people want to spend at least some of their time in the office. 15% of the 10,000 globally said, I don't want to come into the office at all. Although having said that, we know from studying remote-first companies, they probably do want to spend time together. But they want to, for the most part, work fully from home. A larger percent, 20%, want to be in the office full-time. We don't hear about those people near enough, but there is a contingent out there that for whatever reason, maybe they're in a small apartment with a partner who's on a Zoom call. Maybe they've got little kids at home or crappy Wi-Fi or whatever. They want to be in the office full-time. 65% want some degree of hybrid arrangement. The key for me here is... If we were to go create some sort of product together, like a lawn tool or a coffee cup, and we surveyed 10,000 people, and 85% said, yeah, I'd like to use that product some or all the time, we'd be ecstatic. There is not a demand problem with the office. Now, I know that people were forced to be there full-time, so they may be there less. But if we take a long-term perspective, the issue isn't with demand. The issue is if we think of the workplace or the office as a product, does the value proposition of that product meet the expectations of the consumers, the employees, in order to deliver real value? So what do they want from the office? This probably won't surprise you. 74% of the 10,000 linked it back to spending quality time with other people. Uh, could be camaraderie, collaboration, meetings, etc. So you can kind of view that as one end of a bell curve that's very social. 16% specifically wanted to come into the office to do focused work. So that's the other end of the bell curve, right? Around focus concentration. Now, I didn't put this data on there, but Herman Miller has a, a tool, wfh.hermanmiller.com, that 29,000 people have used globally. In that tool, we ask people, what do you struggle with at home? Which is different than what do you want from the office? Of those 29,000 people, the top response of what they said they struggle with at home is focus concentration. Distractions exist, maybe not every day, but when they need to focus, they need to know that the office supports it. So if you think of that as a bell curve, let's face it, most open offices with generic conference rooms don't do a great job of providing real social interaction. They don't do a great job of providing great focused heads down space. They live too much in the middle and they can't anymore. 10% of people want quality face time with management. They, they want to have a clearer sense of what's going on in the organization, and I can understand that. So. Based on this, what should we do in terms of rethinking how we support interactions in the office? Let's start with a simple framework. We've been using it in our research for years, which is understanding that when people show up to an office on a given day, they're coming in different sort of interactions. They're coming as part of a community that's a bunch of people that have unrelated objectives, right? They're just part of an organization. They show up as a member of a group. It could be a department. It could be a team. It could be a project team. And then they also show up as an individual. And the goal is to make sure that the interactions that they want at each of those levels can be supported in the space to make sure that they can find that uh, to be a space that's really designed for their actual needs. Any of you heard the sociological framework of strong ties, weak ties? Some of you. Okay, good. So I'll just touch upon it real quick. Sociologists refer to our networks as having strong ties. Those are the people that we know best, that we live life with, our friends, family, closest coworkers. But then our extended networks, and we're in the midst of it right now, are our weak ties. And that's our foundation for community. It's really important. That's how people feel a sense of belonging. It could be your high school friends. It could be coworkers you haven't seen. The challenge with the pandemic, beyond the loss of life, is that when we quarantined, 
it wrecked our weak ties. We started to spend lots of time with a very small group of people and our extended networks withered away. And if you look at organizations uh, in terms of like a network analysis, instead of looking like a subway map, they look like dozens or hundreds of small bubbles that are disconnected and that's a problem. So what this gets after is we need to honor what people want to do individually, but as far as their groups, their strong ties, we need to recognize they've been living life on video and that's a pretty one-dimensional way of interacting. So we got to give those strong ties better immersive quality experiences. And then we got to help bring the community together, which is why we gather. So how do we do this? This is going to be fast and furious, but I'm giving you an open invitation to go deeper into this later. Six space types. They're not entirely exhaustive, but they're pretty good for you to be able to take a look at your real estate and say, okay, how are we doing against these space types in terms of what we're seeing from our employees and what we might need? The first two are at a community level. Community socialization, these are spaces where you can strengthen those weak ties. It's kind of like where we just left, where we were eating was a social space or out in the hallways. It's unstructured, it's informal, it's a chance to bump into people that you might not have any reason to be in a meeting with. And those are important. They're usually located in the crossroads of a, of a facility. They don't need to be big. The key is they do need to convey to everyone that it's cool to be there. It's productive. It's desired. But then beyond that unstructured, informal interaction is community assembly. That's when we start to see groups of 10, 30, 100 coming together for hours or days at a time. This is something that a lot of organizations are noticing. Maybe you're finding this in your facility that maybe some places lend themselves more to socialization, but in other cases you're seeing large groups roll up for something that feels more like an event. And a lot of organizations lack these sort of spaces. If any of you have been uh, to some of Herman Miller's facilities, as an example, in West Michigan, we're seeing that our, our employees from around the country, Knoll employees, Muto, others, are finding our spaces as a place to get together for like a week at a time, and then they're leaving, which is totally different than the informal, unstructured socialization. So does every organization need this in every facility? Probably not. But do a gut check. What are you seeing among your employees? Are they trying to get together in a coordinated, structured way and you need more of the assembly space? Or is it all about giving people the chance to interact informally? Now, let's move from communities to groups. By the way, I don't actually see a time clock, so I'm just going to keep talking. You tell me, you raise your hand when I'm at 20 minutes and I'll generally blow past that. All right, groups. So we talked about community. Communities are, you know, they're, they're, they're unrelated groups. They don't technically have anything to do with each other. Now I'm talking about teams. I'm talking about departments. I'm talking about specific groups that are working together. And yeah, they might have a good experience working on video or on Slack or Teams. But what does it look like to provide them something that goes beyond what they can experience digitally? Well, the first type of space is group meeting space. Seeing lots of interesting prototypes of how to evolve traditional meeting spaces to be less formal, more interactive, using tools like Miro or Mural or making them more video equipped. And as an example, um, well, I won't go dive into it now, but I'm happy to go farther with you if you want to know what looking at the future of group meeting spaces might need to be. But then there's group collaborative spaces, most often neighborhoods. You know, if we look at neighborhood-based planning in places like Sydney or places like Amsterdam, it's been a very successful model. It's a good alternative to activity-based working where you might have shared spaces for a team, 
but the team knows that's where their people are. So you come into the facility, you hang out with the community, but where are my people? I know where to find them. And in that context, by the way, we should think of benching and open workstations not as a place for individual work, but really as a subset of a group collaborative space. Because let's face it, those benches never allowed for much concentration anyway. So what does it look like to support group interactions differently than maybe you have in the past? Final two space types around individuals. Individual restoration and individual focus. Now, I didn't mention it, but we did a survey in September. It was a smaller survey. It was 1,000 people. I think we had 889 respond. We asked a bunch of people in the U.S. that have flexible work arrangements, hey, on a given day when you choose to not come into the office, why? Like, what, what impacts your decision? Number one issue was commute time and cost. Didn't have any surprise there. What really surprised us was tied for number one was individual overall mental, physical, emotional well-being. Now, we work with a variety of other collaborators, and that's one of the things that makes our research efforts at Miller Knoll a bit unique, is that we do collaborate with a lot of outside organizations. One of them is called Better Up. They just released not too long ago a, a something called their Crisis Connection Report, talking about the state of individual well-being for remote workers. A lot of people socially isolated and burned out, but here's the thing. It's also very stressful to go back to a different routine where you're getting up, you're ironing, you're putting on the makeup, doing the hair, put the dog in the crate, drop the kids off to school, get to work, be on, and then not have any relief from that until you leave. And if we take a look at all the unique needs that somebody might have to just step out of chaos like this, could be somebody with an anxiety disorder, somebody on the neurospectrum that wants a hyposensitive environment. Could be, there's been good research in the UK about women of menopausal age struggling in the workplace, thermal discomfort, brain fog. Could be a person of color trying to escape code switching. There's a myriad of reasons that we need to give people the chance to just step back from the intensity of the workday and have a time of restoration, and most spaces do a terrible job of this. Individual focus. Now, in this case, I'm showing a picture of like a study hall. This could be shared offices, whatever. But the goal here is if you know you've got three hours with a spreadsheet that you've got to finish before tomorrow and you came into the office to spend some quality time with others, you, don't, you shouldn't feel like you have to go home in order to get that concentrative work done because according to our other data, home's not going to support it that well anyway. So letting people know that either it's a shared heads-down area, it's a study hall, it's something where you know you've got the assurance of doing concentrative work is just a way to take those spaces and make sure that we're hitting those needs expressed earlier. This is a quick overview of these, but generally we're finding that if you take a look at an existing real estate portfolio, you take a look at what you're seeing amongst your employees, you start to do a gut check on these space types, it'll inform you at least with what you might want to go try. How are we doing time-wise? What time is it? 150? Oh, thank you. I have a, you're awesome. He does have a countdown clock. It was hidden. Look at that. Thank you, buddy. I have eight minutes. I'm going to slow down and start, start going into this a little bit. Okay. Thank you very much. Let's talk a little bit about inclusion. Um, and by the way, if inclusive design interests you, we just published a really, really hefty but interesting peer-reviewed uh, article in the uh, Commercial Real Estate Journal in Europe on the topic of inclusive design. Now, you may have heard the term universal design. The idea of universal design is pushing way beyond accessibility to say, hey, we're going to try to come up with a design that works for everyone. But it's very difficult to achieve. Inclusive design is a slightly different approach, which is all about trying to understand the people you're serving as well as you can, letting them be more participative in the design process, and then doing a gut check on any given space to see if you can solve as many issues as possible. And so you might find. 
Uh, I'm just going to think of an example. You might find that signage that uses iconography instead of words is great for somebody with limited visual acuity. Hey, it also might be great for somebody that speaks English as a second language. So inclusive design is all around like understanding that full breadth of human condition and just doing a gut check on your spaces to see how well they're solving for everyone. But the key to making this happen and the key to making this whole workplace transformation happen is engaging the employees. And I know I've had, I think our team had over 100 customer conversations in the last three months. I know there's a certain mentality of, I don't know that I want to engage all of our employees in this because I'm not sure I can give them what they want. I'm not talking about asking employees, what do you want? If you ask every employee what you want, you're going to have trouble with that response. But what we can do is think about facilities as a product, the employees as consumers, and begin to just know our customers better. As a facilities manager or head of corporate real estate, talking to the people that work there, what does your team do? How do you work? How do you work differently than a couple years ago? What do you like to do in the space? What do you struggle with? And just making that part of the routine is one of the most transformational things that can happen. Interestingly, we've uh, just featured Okta on our podcast. By the way, we have a podcast on the future of work called Looking Forward. Please subscribe. Okta is one of those organizations, along with Atlassian and others, that told their employees they don't ever have to come back to the office, yet have actually expanded their footprint. Why? Well, because they ditched their old view of what an office should be, started asking the employees, if we have space, what do you want them to be? And started to co-create something different that's of real value to employees. And so the goal here is to engage people. You can use surveys. Focus groups are great. You don't have to be an official researcher. But to make your plans for the next several years much more engaged with employees, to capture that feedback and share it, and then to pilot. By the way, pilot does not mean you need to find 8,000 square feet and buy a bunch of Miller Knoll brand furniture, but we're happy to help you if you want to. You can use your existing assets. You don't even have to start spatially. You can start with, you know what we're going to do? We're going to ask the Miller Knoll dealer to give us renderings of four different types of project rooms, and you could go to your employees and say, hey, we know that group collaboration is important. We're thinking about converting some of our old basic meeting spaces to collaborative spaces. Look at these four renderings. What are your impressions? The kind of feedback you get from them will surprise you. You'll begin to tease out subtleties in terms of what they read into a space that's really important because over time, we want them to feel that sense of agency. We want them to know that the space is for them. Let's face it, historically, office design coming out of the 1800s was for the management to supervise the workers. Now we're in a new era where if an organization is going to spend most of their money on people, but their second highest spends on, on corporate real estate, that the return on the investment of space is the extent to which it actually works for the employees. And there is simply no substitute to engaging the employees in a more meaningful way. If we're really honest, most designs of the past were based on a fairly rudimentary understanding of the work that was actually done and the range of human conditions and needs that needed to be solved for. So it's got to be a priority for all of us together. But here's the goal, ultimately. We want to try to foster a sense of belonging among the employees and have the facilities reflect the reality that organizations are communities. It, it, this is what's been lost by so many people in the context of the great resignation or quiet quitting, is that being so highly distributed, being so cut off from those weak ties, not having that face time with management, often has left employees feeling like, well, I get paid to do a job, but it kind of feels like I'm a freelancer. And my entire community appears to only be my team. 
And so that's a challenge. And if an organization wants to scale anything, implement something, innovate, to do so within a small team isn't that difficult. But to do so across teams without that larger community functioning in a healthy way is nearly impossible, which is really the business justification for why corporate real estate's got to play such a critical role in basically healing the fractured communities that have come, uh, come to be the way they are over the last three years or so. But it's tough to imagine a sea of cubicles and generic conference rooms that the employees feel like were designed with some standard in mind, communicating that type of goal either to the employees or to the leadership. So the good news is, it's a long-term thing. I mentioned that we did this study of why people aren't coming into the office on a given day. The design of the workplace doesn't suit my needs was on the list, but it was number six. Most people are not sitting at home going, should I go in? No, I really don't like the design of the office. It's commute. It's care provision. It's um, well-being concerns. It's over-scheduled meetings, which is hampering people. Why come into the office if I got seven hours of meeting on video? I'm just going to sit in my home. But office occupancy rates are increasing slowly. It's more like a balanced mutual fund than it is a stock ticker. So we're going to see it continue to grow. The best thing we can do is try to figure out long-term What's the goal of the portfolio in order to foster a healthier sense of community? Let's try to engage the employees in understanding their emerging needs and use those space types as a gut check to say, what should we be trying? And eventually, we can get there together. I'm actually finishing like a minute or two early. Dang. Well, let me give it a plug then. Sorry, John. I'm going to give it a quick plug. So I mentioned we have a podcast. It's called Looking Forward Conversations on the Future of Work. Please check it out. The goal of the podcast is to connect facilities and real estate leaders with C-suite. So if your CHRO, your CEO, your CFO doesn't truly value what workplace can be, that podcast is there to solve it for you. We have just launched last week a monthly insights newsletter also called Looking Forward. You can go to millernoll.com and sign up there or just drop me an email at that insights at millernoll. And um, we will continue to partner with some of the best organizations in the world to try to get insights that are helpful. That's our goal. Our, we don't exist to try to create brilliant white papers. I'd like to think we do, but our goal is to help. So if there's anything in your journey where you're like, hey, we're stuck here, please ask. That's why we're here, and I appreciate you spending time with us. Awesome job, Ryan. Thank you so much. You know, just, it's fantastic to have all you here. Tango is so proud to bring people like Ryan to you. Uh, we had three great presentations. They were all filled, uh, so thank you so much. And again, Tango right down the street, 200, and uh, visit, say hi. We're really nice people. <laughs> <laughs>